0: Amen. Praise the Lord. was that powerful time of lifting our voices to the Lord in praise. I tell you, I just um, am so thankful that God has gifted people to um, be able to lead us in worship on key so that I can sing off key. Um, yeah, you notice that, huh? Yeah, I notice when I sit down, everybody in front of me moves. I don't take it personal. Whoops. Sorry. Let's. Yeah, I don't think the rounds play. Oh, they do, huh? So, um, yeah. Sorry. Sorry about that. Um... Hey, I, I'm really busy right now. I can't talk and uh, I'll call you back. Hey, Ricky, can you help me with this? Please help me with this. You know, if you read the instructions, you wouldn't have to deal with this. <laughs> who has time for instructions? Come on. a switch on here that makes it silent. Oh, thank you. So you guys, any of you who have these, there's a switch on the side that makes it silent? <laughs> just so you know. Amazing amazing I tell you praise the Lord but, but in all seriousness when you get something that's valuable and useful for um, you to be able to use it isn't, it isn't it important to know how it works isn't it important to, know, to understand how it functions what you can do with it the things you can and can't do with it how to, to put it on silent or even on airplane mode So those of you that have yet to do that, please, at this point in time, do that. Um, Because listen, how many of us don't have time to read the instructions? many of you guys got this and did not read the instructions? That's right. Who has time for that? And then how many of you get frustrated when you can't figure out how it works? Yeah. Why is this email not going off? How come? Where did it go? I didn't delete it. I mean, what? Right? Because we don't, we don't read the directions. We don't have time for directions. I mean, doesn't it make sense that if somebody created something, and they know exactly how it works, and they give us instructions on how it works, that we would look at the instructions? Right? Who's got time for that? The amazing thing is that we have a creator of the universe who has created everything who knows every hair on our head, who has given us instructions on how to live in this creation that He created. And guess what? We don't have time for that, right? Who has time for that? I got things to do. I'm busy. I don't have time for reading the instructions. And then we find ourselves in a situation where something is going off and we're trying to accomplish something and it just distracts everything. And I go, well, what the heck? But if we just read the instructions, maybe we could prevent some of that from happening. And we might be able to prevent some frustration or even embarrassing things that may occur. So I want us to keep that in mind as we go through this because we're in Hebrews 12, right? So let's do a quick review in case you weren't here. And I mean it is going to be quick. So if you really want to get caught up, you're going to have to read or listen to last week's message. But Hebrews 12 says this, therefore, verse one, Hebrews 12, verse one, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And we talked last week about baggage, right? We've been talking about baggage for several weeks now, and we talked about baggage not being what our mental picture of baggage is, right? We get this mental picture when we talk about baggage that it's like this carry-on bag that we carry with us, and we just take it and we just put it in the overhead bin, and we're done with it. And we can go, good, I got rid of that baggage. And, and the writer of Hebrews has a different picture because how many of us have done that or thought we did that, and then we just find out the thing falls out of the overhead bin right on top of us, right? Right? And it's not that easy to get rid of stuff that we have going on in our lives that we want to get rid of. And somehow it keeps resurfacing over and over and over and over and over again. Why is that happening? Well, I want to talk about that this morning because I think there's things that we can begin to unravel from this tangled mess that we got ourselves caught up in. So we're going to do some quick review of some some anatomy stuff that we covered last week, okay? So right up here, we're looking at what uh, is called the neuron. Remember last week, we talked about the fact that there are 600 million, 600 billion with a B, neurons in our brain, okay? Those 600 billion neurons kind of look like this, where they have a dendrite and and an impulse will fire and get captured by the dendrite, go into the nucleus, go out through the axon and then fire out the axon to a dendrite, which fires and it just continues to fire till it gets to its end result. Okay, and we talked last, last week about how those things will fire and how we can develop the ability to fire those things so efficiently, and we talked about how people who are masters at their craft, whether they're a master musician or a master athlete, or a master mathematician, or they just, they've just mastered their craft, and how they master their craft is they have an intense, concentrated focus on the things that they need to learn to be good at their craft. Okay, we talked last, last week about the fact that practice does not make perfect, right? Practice doesn't make perfect, right? Perfect practice makes perfect, right? Because practice just makes permanent. If you're practicing the wrong thing, you have now permanently learned how to do the wrong thing. But if you're practicing the right thing, if you have intense, focused energy on doing something right, what ends up happening with our neurons is that axon keeps firing, and it starts wrapping myelin around the axon, which allows it to fire more effectively. And if you get a path going to where you want it to go, and you have a response that you want to be an instinctive response to help you do something right when you're doing something, that synapse will fire correctly, and you can become a master at that by training your mind to fire in the right directions and the right way so that you can do it effectively. That takes intense, focused practice, and most people don't want to focus that intensely to become that good. So we talked about how the enemy then gets that focused, unfocused, tangled mess all mixed up in our minds so that we become entangled in our behavior, and so we have thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors that are all tangled up, and we kind of looked at the brain and we looked at the fact that the brain isn't just a big blob, but the brain has a whole bunch of different parts. So we have the frontal lobe, which is thinking, memory, behavior, movement. We have over here where the parietal lobe is language and touch. And then the temporal lobe in the middle is hearing, learning, feelings. And over here we have sight. And then down here we have balance and coordination. Then the brainstem comes down with breathing, heart rate, temperature. And we talked about how the, the enemy will get us to be impacted in a lot of different ways. So we may see something over here, but then we wanna, we wanna think about it over here, and then we really like it, so we come back over here to see it more, and then we wanna talk about it. Then we come down here, and it feels really good, so we hit that one. Then we go over here to, to our brain stem, and our heart rate goes up, and we, we start and, and then it goes back, and all of a sudden we have all of these, these impulses going every, every which way, touching a lot of different parts of our senses. And, and education has, has, has shown, as we've studied people and how people learn, that if you, want to, if you want to be effective in educating or if you want to be effective in training, I was a national training manager, so I studied this, you, the more that you can impact senses, the better the retention. So if I just sit here and just tell you stuff, you'll remember 10% of it. If I tell you and I show you a picture, you will remember 25% of it. If I tell you guys to get in groups of three and talk about what you just saw and heard, it goes up to like 50%. And if I tell you to get up here and teach it, it goes up to like 75%. So the more senses that are involved in you learning, the more ingrained the learning is. You're with me? Do you think Satan understands that principle? So when we get tangled up in sin that so easily entangles us, he touches us in a bunch of different senses. And he gets it going all over our our lobes, touching all kinds of different parts of our senses until it becomes so ingrained in us that we go, I want to get rid of it, but I can't get rid of it. Are you with me? So the question is, how do you get rid of it? I'm glad you asked that question. Because God is going to tell us. So Hebrews 12, he says, Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That is good news. So how do you untangle this mess that we've gotten ourselves tangled into? Sin, which so easily entangles us, which we call baggage, okay? And how do we untangle this thing when we find ourselves, you know, we call it pushing your buttons. Anybody ever push your buttons and then you do something you go, what the heck was that all about, Right? Well that pushed my buttons. Well, so there was no buttons. You just got a tangled mess of behaviors, attitudes, and emotions that somebody touched, and it caused a reaction that you're used to doing because you've learned that behavior over years. And so how do you unlearn those behaviors? How do you untangle that mess? You don't. <laughs> Sorry. You don't. Here's how you do it. You understand a couple of things. You understand one, that you are in a long process says the race, run with endurance the race that is set before you. Run with endurance this race, and we, it's been called in scripture a battle, but, but let's use the race picture. It's a, it's, a, it's a marathon. It's a lifetime race that we're in the middle of. We're gonna run with endurance that race. Now, how do we run that race effectively? He says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. How do we get, get this tangled mess to not control us, we change our focus. We have a a focused attention on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. We don't focus on this anymore. We focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Intense, focused presence of Jesus. All of a sudden, things start firing for Jesus. All of a sudden, we start thinking, what are Jesus' values? What's Jesus' attitude? What's Jesus' love? What's Jesus all about? How do we behave like Jesus? How do I see Jesus? All of a sudden, we're looking at Jesus. We're focusing on Jesus. And we're starting to find ourselves not focused on the tangled mess that had us all in bondage. Because the reality is this. If I want to lose weight... And then the best way for me to lose weight is to not eat the half gallon of ice cream that's in the freezer, okay? And, and I, I really believe that if you eat the thing with a fork in front of the, the sink, it's, there's no calories in it, okay? As soon as you sit down in a chair with a spoon, bam, you're done. But it, apart from that, that's pure theory, okay? There's no biblical foundation to that. If all I think of is, oh, I can't eat that ice cream, 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 it is Reese's Peanut Butter Cup ice cream, but I can't eat that ice cream. And man, Reese's Peanut Butter Cup ice cream is so good, but I know I can't eat it. What do you think I'm going to be doing in about five minutes? Yeah, I got that thing in my hand with the fork because I don't want the calories. But but I have it. But but if if my focus is, I'm going to be healthy, I'm going to be fit, I'm going to eat right, I'm gonna be responsible. And if my focus is on the things I wanna become rather than the things that I don't want, guess where my, my, my behavior begins to align with? And sometimes we spend so much time focusing on what we don't want to do instead of focusing on who Jesus is that all that focus just reinforces the tangled mess that we're trying to get ourselves out of. The the writer here says, focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Marathon runners, when they're running, they're focused with the end in mind. Our end in mind is knowing that we're going to glorify God. Their end in mind is if I'm going to run 26.3 miles or 23.6 miles or whatever those numbers are, I need to know I need to get to the end. And the last thing that they're doing is like on mile 10 going, wow, those shorts are really nice. I mean, that, you know, I like that shirt. Man, I'm gonna have to get that next time. I mean, they're focused on getting to the end. And we need to be focused on understanding what our end game is and knowing that our goal is to glorify Christ. So we have this focus on Jesus, the author, perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, already ran the race for us so we're saved because of the work that he did and now he's seated at the right hand of the father and that's our race that we're running the race that he began for us he accomplished for us because we're saved by grace that's so we can run that race with endurance you know what with a marathon i have never run one but i've heard that it's not flat now i've run some 10ks and i can tell you they're not flat there's up, there's hills, there's down, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on during that path. So you have to have endurance in order to run it and to complete the race. So we have to have endurance. We have to know that we're in this race and that there's gonna be hills that we have to climb. There's gonna be things that are gonna go on. It's gonna get crowded at times. I'm gonna get tired at times. I'm gonna wanna quit at times. All kinds of things are gonna happen, but I need to know that I run it with endurance knowing that I have somebody who's already run the race and won the race. And he says, you want to win the race? Here's how you do it. Follow me. Focus on me. Listen to me. I'll help you win. Paul does it this way. Romans 12. Cool thing about the Bible is if you really want to know anything that's really good, just go to chapter 12, verse 1, and you don't have to read the rest of the chapter. Okay? That's probably not inspired preaching either, but... focusing on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Paul says that, that if, you want to, if you want your life to be transformed, there's a couple things that need to happen. And these are important principles. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, So the first thing that needs to happen is we need to be a people who understand who owns us. This is our challenge as people, is that we don't believe that we belong to God. We believe that God saved us, but we own ourselves. And this is what gets us in trouble. Paul says, you offer yourself, your entire being, emotional, physical, spiritual, mental, psychological, everything you give to him, you lay it on the altar and say, I am, I am yours. Whatever you want, I am yours. That's a spiritual service of worship. It's how we, we offer ourselves in worship to God. I am yours. And as we do that, we need to understand some stuff that Paul goes on to say. And he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So when we offer ourselves on a sacrifice to God, this is a a challenge for us because as people, we typically spend a ton of time out in the world. Amen? And and we spend a little less time in here on Sunday mornings and some time maybe alone with God during the day, uh, during the week, depending on who you are and what your schedule is. And so from an endpoint point of view, how much influence are we getting from the world versus how much influence we're getting from God? And we have a tendency as people to have much, 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 much more influence coming from the world to influence us to determine our attitudes, to determine our thoughts, to determine our behaviors than we do from God. And, and Paul is saying that you can't be conformed to the world. You can't let the world decide how you're gonna think. You can't let the world decide what your priorities are. You can't let the world decide what your values are. You can't let the world decide how you're gonna live and what you're gonna have value in, what you're gonna do with yourself. That, you can't, that's, that's not what it means to be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice means that you let the Lord come into When we become a Christian, and this is where, you know, in America, Christianity has become this thing where you just say some magic prayer and poof, all of a sudden. You know, when we become a Christian, Jesus says that you give yourself to him. You recognize you're a sinner, that because you're a sinner, you're separated from Christ. You cannot be perfect. The only way we get to heaven is to be perfect, right? Anybody perfect here? Not since like three minutes ago. But I know that I'm perfect in God's sight because Jesus paid the price for me. His blood shed for me is what, is what cleanses me and, and allows me to have access to eternal life. My response is, I, I give you myself. I let you be Lord of my life. Jesus, you're the one who calls the shots. We struggle with that, don't we? Jesus, I want you to save me. I just want you to lead me, right? I want you to save me. Just don't call the shots because I don't like the shots you're calling. But Paul is saying that if we want to be people who can untangle that mess that we get ourselves tangled in because we're conforming to the world, he says you need to stop that and you need to renew your mind. You need to renew your mind by doing what Hebrews 12 says and having an intense focus on who Jesus is. Because if you do that, then you can prove what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. Because now we're starting to think like Jesus. We're starting to to act like Jesus. We're starting to have Jesus attitudes, Jesus behaviors, Jesus values, Jesus priorities. And we're becoming much more concerned about how do I be like Jesus? How do I glorify God? That becomes my passion. That becomes my purpose. I'm running this race for one purpose, to glorify God and to be used by him, period. And when I understand that, now I can train for that purpose. And I was talking to somebody in the break who ran marathons, and he goes, the part of the marathon that I liked the least was the training. Amen? If If you ever run, I mean, it's like, sometimes I had to force myself to get out of bed. I didn't want to get up. I didn't want to run. I didn't want to train. I hated it. And Paul says, if if you're going to run this race with endurance, then you need to understand that you're going to be renewing your mind. There's going to be a transformation that's going to happen in you from the inside out. And the way we get transformed is by allowing Jesus to renew our minds so that we have an intense, focused uh, picture of Jesus and who Jesus is. And that's the picture that we follow. And we do that consistently every day, day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. And then we start seeing ourselves become transformed into the image of Christ and we start becoming like Jesus. We start acting like him, talking like him, feeling like him, loving like him. That doesn't just happen. It just, we just don't get this pixie dust thing where Jesus goes, okay, everything's good. It happens in us, so it can happen through us, okay? So Romans 12.1 talks about recognizing that we need him, offering himself as a living sacrifice, helping him change our attitudes and all that kind of stuff so we can prove what the will of God is. Because here's what happens. When we change our focus, we can change our behavior. If I'm changing my focus and I'm focusing on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, I can start seeing my behavior change because I'm becoming more like Christ. When I become more like Christ, guess what? I start acting more like Christ. And so I don't focus on what I don't want to do. I focus on who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about. And I start finding myself becoming more and more like Jesus, which means I begin acting more and more like Jesus. So how does this happen in reality? Let's look at some real pictures of how this really looks like so we can begin to get a picture of it, okay? Three things that I think are powerful things that we can do that will help us be people who renew our minds. We can go through the transforming process of having our minds renewed in Christ. Okay, first thing that happens is we have a deeper relationship with Christ through his word. A deeper relationship with Christ through his word. (laughs) In the book of uh, Timothy, Paul is writing a letter to a young pastor, and he's encouraging this pastor, and he's talking about this pastor um, really ministering to his, his uh, congregation. And he says this in, in, in 2 Corinthians three sixteen and 17. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. All Scripture is inspired by God. I want you to get this. This is not a self-help book. This is, this is the Word of God inspired to move within us so our spirit grabs hold of the Word of God and begins to work in us in a powerful way. Hebrews 4. If we go back a couple of... Uh, oh, we go the other way. Go to the right. Hebrews 4. Again, it looks at the word a a little bit um, more more detailed. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God, which is inspired by God, has the capacity through the working of the Holy Spirit to get into our innermost being and begin to change us from the inside out. Begin to, we don't unravel the tangled mess. We have the ability to fire synapses that just bypass that. And so all of a sudden we find ourselves focusing on those things that we are, that we, that we are becoming in Christ And this stuff just becomes more and more and more diminished. Those firings become less and less and less strong because these firings are becoming more and more and more and more strong. And they start firing more effectively and more efficiently. And when we have this thing starting to be hidden in our heart, this thing really starts making an impact. We don't have people come and share this just because it's a good thing to do. We know that the Word of God is inspired so that it can give instruction, it can give correction, it can give reproof. Have any of you ever, as Doug has been preaching, said, wow, I needed that? Well, you think Doug just thought, well, you know, I wonder if Ricky needs this. I, I think I'll just preach this, this out, Ricky. You know, no. God, God, God gives us the word. We preach the word. And, and God knows. God knows, how, God knows where your heart is, and he knows how to, how to encourage you. He knows how to convict you. It goes, it goes, it's sharper than a two-edged sword and it, it, and it has the ability to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It has the ability to begin to help us retrain some of those synapses that are firing so they start firing in a way that glorifies the Lord and that serves the Lord. The word of God is a powerful tool that God is using to help us really be transformational. And, and it's, it's an inspired word of God. This is not a magic book, Okay. You just don't read it. And go, this is something that you study and you read all the time and you, you absorb it and it becomes nutrition for your spirit. It's not something that you just read and somehow magically God's going to give you direction, okay, unless you have a real sensitivity to spirit. Because one guy did that. He goes, Lord, just teach me. Teach me what I need to do today. And he goes like that and he looks down and he goes, and Judas went out and hung himself. <laughs> he goes, that, that must not be right. So he goes, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Therefore, go and do likewise. (laughs) Well, maybe that's not a good idea. No, we study so that we understand the full um, message of Scripture. And we understand what Scripture is all about. And when we have somebody like Doug who can teach us and it can answer questions and it can help us understand it, it becomes all that much more powerful. Here's how it happens in real life. Let's look at um, the book of Joshua. Go back to the Old Testament Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, and then you're going to get to uh, Joshua. Joshua 1. Moses had just taken the people through the wilderness. They came to the promised land. And now Joshua 1, it says in verse 1. Now it came about after the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel." Now listen to this. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. And then he goes and describes all the area that he gave to him. And then in verse five, he says, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Man, is that powerful or is that powerful? Here is God telling Joshua, here is what I'm gonna do for you. In fact, I've already done it. It's already a done deal. And yet then he says this, he goes, but, verse 6, he goes, be strong and courageous. Huh. then he says this, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. So here's a reality of how Christ works. Christ has promises for us. Christ told Joshua, I have already done this, but I'm going to do it through you, Joshua. I'm not just going to do it. I'm going to let you participate in my plan. I'm not just going to do it. And, and when we come to the Lord and the word, God is able to do that. Now look at how he gives them direction. He says, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have access wherever you go. Have a concentrated, intense focus on the law of Moses. Don't turn from it to the right. Don't turn from it to the left. Don't let the world tell you, well, that's a dumb idea. Don't let the world tell you, well, everybody does it this way. Why are you doing it that way? Don't let the world be the thing that influences your thinking. Have an intense focus focus on the law read the instruction manual well nobody else reads the instruction manual why should i read the instruction manual you know god says read the manual understand the instructions don't turn from it to the right or to the left And listen to this, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall continually talk about it. Remember we talked about all the senses? Talk about it. Don't let it um, depart from your mouth. And you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Meditate on it day and night, an intense, concentrated focus. Why do you have the intense, concentrated focus? So that you can do what I'm asking you to do. Not so that you can sit back and watch me do it. God creates in us hearts and attitudes to be used by him to accomplish his purposes. We get to participate in that. I just can't even comprehend that. I would have given up on me a long time ago if I was God. Done. He can't even do this. Okay? I've given him, you know... 5,683 tries at it, and he's failed every time. There's got to be somebody else who can do this. God says, man, if you have this focus, so you meditate on it so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it, and then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So God is going to do a work that is going to allow Joshua to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. But Joshua is going to do it. And you think when God said walk around the city seven times and and he's thinking, that's a great battle plan, God. I've never heard that one. I mean, all through Joshua, you see God doing things. That Joshua had to trust God and do what God told him to do. Now, you want something that's a practical example of that for you, for me? Let's look at a practical example. Let's turn to Philippians 4. The good thing about this is you're learning what's in your Bible. Okay, Philippians, back in the New Testament, General Electric Phone Company, so Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, or Philippians, Colossians. Colossians, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, repute. if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So here is Paul modeling the behavior that people are able to see him do, and he says, do these things. Now, is this a practical thing? You know, one of the things that you can do is, is take this verse... And pull out your phone and snap a picture of this verse and put a reminder on your phone. I really do know how to use this. This was just an illustration. Um, So I I usually do put this thing on vibrate in airplane mode and I usually hit it with a hammer and all kinds of stuff so it won't go off. But um, do a reminder every hour, read that verse. And get that verse so ingrained in your mind that when you're doing anything, you're thinking, wow, is this good? Is this true? Is it honorable? Is it right? Is it pure? Whatever is lovely, whatever is a good repute. And so, so you know, I can go out to breakfast with Byron, and he goes, you know, that, that, that Ricky, do you know Ricky, a, whoa, 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 is that? Is that true? Well, yeah, it's true, but, but is it honorable? <laughs> well, not really honorable. Um, is it, you know, is it, is, it, is it right? Well, no, not really. Is it pure? Definitely not. Is it lovely? <laughs> it feels good, though. Can we just do it? because my flesh says that feels good, I wanna do that. And the word of God says no, is it right? Is it true, is it honorable? Is it excellent? It's one verse that if we hid that in our heart, it would stop gossip altogether. No gossip would ever happen because if you asked yourself that question, you could not go on. It It would correct all kinds of discussions, my wife and I call them discussions, discussions that you have in your marriage. Because before you say something, because a button gets pushed because you didn't untangle that mess, and you go, well, listen, um, is, is what I'm going to say to her um, true? Yeah, it's true. Is it honorable? No. Is it right? No. Is it pure? No. Is it lovely? No. Is it of good? Rep- no. Is it excellent? No. Is it worthy of praise? No. Stops all kinds of stuff because the word of God allows us to know how to live life with each other in a way that's effective. If we just use it, if we meditate on it, if we make it a part of our life, because it happens in me before it happens through me. God wants to use this to change me to be somebody that's a light in the midst of darkness, to be a better husband, to be a better part of the body, to be a better person out in the world, to be somebody that's impactful for him. So the word of God is one way. If we really fall in love with it, the word of God can be transformational to us, okay? The second thing, a deeper relationship with Christ through prayer. Deeper relationship with Christ through prayer. Let's turn to the gospel of Mark. Well, I bet you haven't been in this many books of the Bible with somebody preaching in a long time. It's good, isn't it? So we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. Let's start like in verse 29, Mark chapter 129, and immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her. And she waited on them. When evening came after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door, and he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Man, this is like a healing service of all healing services. I'm sure the apostles were going, man, we could be here for a week. This is going to be awesome, man. This is going to be such unbelievable, man. Things are going to happen. People are going to know who Jesus is. And so it says in verse 35, in the, in the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a scheduled place and was praying there. Went away to a scheduled place and he was praying there. Now it doesn't say what he was praying or what he was talking to God about. He just went and he hung out with God. That's what he does. And there's places all through scripture where, Peter, where Jesus does that. And Simon and his companions searching for him, they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. And look what he says. He says to them, let us go somewhere else to towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. Now, I don't know if if Jesus was there talking to to God about his plan and talking to God about what God had called him to do or what was going on, but Jesus knew the race he was running and he knew what the end result was and he knew what he came for. And and being able to to be alone with the Father, being able to pray, being able to have a relationship with him, allows us to understand his heart and to hear his voice. It allows us to to commune with him. It allows him to give us an opportunity to understand maybe something that we've in our heart that he will bring to our mind. It's a powerful time for us to be with him and commune with him. It's not a task. Being in the word is not a task. You don't check it off. Prayer is not a task. You don't check it off. And by the way, th- this takes some time for us to re-fire some of our synapses because some of us go, well, I can't read the Bible because I fall asleep like in five minutes. So read it for five minutes. Okay, five minutes is better than nothing. And then, then tomorrow read it for six minutes or maybe five minutes and 30 seconds. Read it. But I, I don't like to read Refire your synapses. Learn to like to read. And you could do it audio. Plug it in audio. But your senses, you read, you verbalize, you internalize. This is stuff that we have to understand is so important that we can't just go, I don't like doing that. I don't like to, no. The enemy is convincing you not to be somebody who's going to be empowered by God to be used by God when you start listening to things that aren't true. This is critical. Prayer is critical. I fall asleep as soon as I pray. Stand up. Walk around and pray. God's okay with that. Be with him. Listen to him. Commune with him. And and listen, look at the power of what happens when you do that. Okay, you develop a sensitivity of the Spirit. You begin to understand how this, the, the voice of the Spirit as the Spirit speaks. Let's turn to Acts 10. Acts 10, starting with verse 1. Now, there was a man of Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion who was, called, who was called the Italian cohort, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, while well, he's praying, he clearly saw, a vision of the, a vision, he saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his, his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now detach some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He's staying with a tanner named Simon in his house, and he tells him exactly where to go. Okay, and then the, the angel leaves. Uh, Cornelius sends his his servants and a soldier out to Joppa to find Peter. And it says in verse 9, On the next day, as they were on their way, approaching the city... Now, God already talked to Cornelius in prayer, right? So now Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, as he was praying, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened up, and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals, crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, showed up at the gate, and they were calling out to Peter. Peter saw them, and it says that that while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him in verse 19, behold, three men are looking for you. But get get up, go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. So Peter went up, talked to the men, went to the house of Cornelius. and and he came in, Cornelius worshipped him, he said, you don't worship me, I'm just a man. Verse 28, he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with foreigner or to visit him, and yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for, so I asked for what reason you have sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago at this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send a Joppa, send, send Peter. So I did that, sent for immediately, and now here you are. And then Peter says in verse 34, I most certainly understand now that God is not one who shows partiality, partiality but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. And then he went on and preached, and they, they got filled with the Holy Spirit, and all kinds of powerful things happened. That happened while people were praying, God has the capacity as we come to him and say, God, use me. I want to have a focused attention on who Jesus is. Use me, equip me, teach me, give me a sensitivity of your spirit. Who knows who he's talking about somewhere else that he's going to bring you together because God knows that stuff. And then God says, talk to that person. And you go, I don't know that person. We'll talk to him anyway. I don't even know who they are. What am I going to say? Go talk to them. That God has already been preparing that person for you to go talk to them. If you have an, a sensitivity of the spirit and a willingness to obey when that moving happens in your spirit, who knows what God is going to do in you and through you in a powerful way. It all happens by us having a focused attention and a relationship with God through prayer. It's not we just take 10 minutes, read through all the prayer lists on the church thing and we're done. It's allowing the word of God as we meditate on it, as we dwell on it, as we pray it through to become a part of us so that Jesus is transforming us from the inside out through study of his word and through sitting and talking to him and listening to him and sharing our heart with him and trying to hear his heart and his spirit. It's relationship. It's not task. And then the last thing is a deeper relationship with Christ through the body. And Hebrews 10, Hebrews is a great book. If Ephesians wasn't my favorite book, Hebrews might be. Unless I'm reading Romans, then Romans is. <laughs> Hebrews 10, starting at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the body drawing near. So the writer of Hebrews again is saying, hey, we need to have a deep relationship with the body, growing as a body, so that we can come together, we can hold fast our confession of hope without wavering. You know how powerful it is to come and sing songs of hope. I mean, this morning, I don't know about you, but it was so powerful to sing some of these songs, and they're just declarations of who God is and, and, and God's relationship to us and the power that God has in our lives. And, and I mean, it just it, it moves us through our spirit in powerful emotional ways. Music, I don't get, but music is a powerful way to impact lives. Any of you like me, you listen to a song you used to listen to like in the 1960s, those of you that are my age, and you know the words, right? How do I know those words? I haven't heard that song in 30 years, but there's a memory bank that is there that was impacted emotionally, and as soon as that song comes up, I go, I remember that song. (laughs) Those were good times. I remember that song. You know... I spend a lot of time just asking God to continue to put songs in my heart that I can just sing that that keep me focused on Him. When we come together as a body and we're able to worship together and we're able to come together and, 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 and lift our voices, Scripture says all of us are gifted differently. When we all come together, all of our gifts fit together and people are able to see Jesus more clearly when we come together as a body. And we can come together as a body and we can learn together as, as, as we study Scripture. We, 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 we bring the Word of God because God says the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. This is where we learn. This is where we grow. This is how we're transformed. Through coming together and, and, and lifting our hearts to Him in worship and allowing His Word to come and transform us. We have Bible studies because it gives us an opportunity to come together as brothers and sisters and study scripture together so that we grow together. As we build relationships together, it allows us to to be with each other, to love each other, to grow together, to interact with scripture. It's powerful. And and some of us need to refire some of our synapses. Because I don't like going through women's Bible study because I don't, I don't like who's teaching it. Well, why do we have to sit in that form instead of that form? Well, why don't we study this instead of that? Well, why, why do we have to have men study at 8 o'clock? Can't we do it at 8.30? I mean, we need to start refiring the value of what we're doing. This is an opportunity for us to come and allow the Holy Spirit to use scripture to empower us, to transform us together as a body so that we can sharpen each other as we come together as a body. Because we need that, because all of us have blind spots. All of us have things that we don't recognize that God wants to identify in our hearts so that we can change. And I'm gonna read this and then I'm done, okay? We're gonna go over just a little bit, but Doug does it all the time, so it's gotta be okay. So let's turn to 2 Samuel 12, okay? Last Sunday we went to 2 Samuel 11, right? So let's go to 2 Samuel 12 now. Because 2 Samuel 11, we saw what David did, right? Walking on the rooftop, saw this beautiful woman. She's taking a bath, said he wanted her. He got her, got her pregnant, killed her husband, hit it all up, okay? Nobody knows, everything's cool. She has has a baby now. Everything's cool, okay? So now chapter 12 says, the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said, you know, David, there were two men in one city and one was rich and the other one was poor. The rich man had a lot of flocks and a lot of herds, but the poor man had nothing except for one lamb. And when he bought, which he bought and nourished and it grew up together with him and his children, it would eat his bread, it would drink his cup, it would lie in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man was unwilling to take from his own flock or his herd to prepare for the wayfarer who came to him. So he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man to come to him. And it says, David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, as sure as the Lord lives, this man who has done this deserves to die. And he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan then said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel. It is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. It is I who gave your master's house and your master's wives into your care. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been too little, I would have added you many more things like these. Verse 9, why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. And then he goes on, and he says, as a result, David, you're going to have consequences that you have brought on yourself, okay? And then it says in verse um, verse 13, then David said to Nathan, because I want to get this, I have, I have sinned against the Lord, and Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. So David acknowledged that he, that he sinned. That's, that's why David is a man after God's heart. Not because David didn't make mistakes. David massively made mistakes. But David thought he got away with it. Now whether he just was so callous to it because we talked about this last Sunday. If he just was used to just getting what he wanted, he may have just said okay. And he's used to killing people. He's, he, he's killed more people. You know, David killed his 10,000, Saul his thousands. I mean, David is used to that stuff. But God said, there is somebody in the body that is going to identify David's blind spot and help David realize in a way that he would identify with that what he did was wrong. Because David can't be forgiven if he doesn't know that what he's doing is wrong. And he can't repent if he doesn't know what's wrong. So Nathan came and said, David, what you did was wrong. And David re- repented. He repented. He repented. But we need that as a part of the body. If you think that you can sit home and watch something on TV and you'll be okay, it isn't going to work that way. You have to be a part of a body where people get to know you, where people love you, where people care about you, where you can care about them, where you can be part of the transformation of their life. Because it happens in us before it happens through us and we need you to help it happen in us so it will happen through us. And part of how it happens through us is as we interact with each other and we sharpen each other and we help each other grow together in christ are you with me it's so critical you guys this is, this is so critical for us as Christians to have a vibrant, alive Christian life. If we don't understand how important it is for us to have a relationship to Christ through the word, a growing, alive, deep relationship where the word of God is important to us, where we're meditating on it, where we're, we're excited about being in it, we're passionate about it, we want it more than anything else that happens in that day when we want to come to the Lord and just sit at his feet and just pray and listen and interact and talk to him, when we want to come together as a body where this is more important than a stinking football game, it's more important than a stinking World Series game, it's more important than anything else you can do because this is eternal. Then we become people who become powerful, used by God through us because he's doing a work in us. Amen? Let's own this, you guys. I don't know how else to say it, so I'm not gonna say it anymore. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, for your power, for your glory. Thanks that you want more than anything for us to be people with an intense focus on you that's transformational so that we become Jesus, more like Jesus. We think like him, we act like him, we behave like him, we value what he values, we love what he loves. Our heart is his heart. Lord, do that in us cause your word to just we want more and more and more of it we just hunger and hunger and hunger for it lord we want to be with you we want to talk to you we want to listen to you and lord we want to be together sharpening each other loving each other encouraging each other helping each other become more like you do that work in us as a body and we're going to transform the san gabriel valley lord you're going to do it and we're going to be so blessed to be a part of it so i give you the praise and glory in jesus name everybody said Amen. Amen. amen